you know, 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 they're called such nerds. So can we get back onto the serious sci-fi talk now? Welcome back to the Such Nerds Podcast, Season 3, Episode 4. I am your host tonight, Jason from Connecticut, with my co-hosts... Peter from Long Island. And Dan from Los Angeles. We are continuing our discussion about Second Foundation, Chapters 12, 13, and 14. Woo! Yeah, we are in the middle of the second part of the book, part two of the book. This is the Search by Foundation. Child endangerment section of the book. <laughs> All right, so Dan, um, I think uh, you're going to have to do some heavy lifting this week because I know we're, we're gearing up for your summary, but I think because of the nature of the fan mail that came through, you're probably the best person to, uh, to read this one. Okay. Dear such nerds, Peter, what in the black holes of space is subterfuge? Can you please explain your fancy word? I'm not a nerd myself, only nerd adjacent. Uh, sure, nerd adjacent. Uh, thanks for writing in again, by the way. Um, First time, time I think. Yeah, it's been, Once per think season. It's been a little while. Yeah, it's a consistent a listener. So. What was the word before, Jason? Do you remember? Well, my my so, request was for neophyte. Neophyte. I can't neophyte, remember quite right. what the second Dan. I think Dan had a good one for us. Exogenous was Dan's uh, request last yeah. in, the, in the second season. Sounds a so, lot like misogynist. To I, me. I I think you get the you get you got the easy one, Peter. You got called out on subterfuge. Subterfuge. Oh, yeah. So subterfuge is when you take a submarine sandwich and you put it through a fusion core reactor. And that's what subterfuge is, and it helps you make tin. I think that's I think that's the correct definition of the word. Uh, yeah. Do you so want me to? Fa- should I fact check that, Peter? It's like I, can, I, can, wanna, I thought it was. To, I can look it up on Urban Dictionary Galactica. here. I, th- I thought it was, it was if you take a, a a submarine sandwich and put it in a centrifuge, and it just oh yeah, that's right. Throws all spin it out into the various side, the size the sides of the unit by mass. Right. And then, um, and that's a subterfuge. Dan, I'm I stand corrected. That's a, absolutely a hundred percent. It's a way to eat food by math, proper mass calculus. <laughs> like you could take the sub and you could blend it into a puree, or you could just put it in the subterfuge, which right. You know, it's like a mass. And it basically, it undoes the work of somebody who assembles a sandwich, right? Yeah, it's like a salami that spins out at one speed. Yeah, it's like an open face sandwich in space. The machine that open faces. And it's all, it's all stuck to the sides of this wheel. Yes, it's like a gravitron for sandwiches. Exactly, exactly. And it's it's important for your televisor. Uh, You know, I think Peter. I think Peter. There's a chance that you are, in fact, exhibiting. Uh, 
subterfugian behavior by trying to mislead our audience. Uh, I think it's almost the same kind of thing as gaslighting, if you will. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's very so, meta. Uh, Jason, very meta performance. Uh, you're very perceptive. And uh, I've always had the philosophy that it's best to lead by example. Mm-hmm. And that the only true teacher is uh is experience, experience. so I, hey, I wanted don't, to don't tell us Peter. i wanted the audience to understand what it was hey, don't tell us show us subterfuge yeah i'm gonna show don't you what tell subterfuge me what is. subterfuge is show me <laughs> yeah. what subterfuge is right so now i hopefully, think the audience has a pretty good idea what subterfuge is at yeah. this hopefully point. this this episode of charades has informed nerd adjacent about what subterfuge is yeah. and what subterfuge is not and also more importantly how to subterfuge like they say yes give a man a subterfuge you subterfuge him for a day but if you <laughs> teach a man to subterfuge you subterfuge him for a lifetime so <laughs> I don't think so I thanks, for the, thanks for the letter <laughs> yeah so i i would also you know just to pile on to this one a little bit um you know i think it's great that our our listener nerd adjacent is um Finding his way, he's finding his way to the Such Nerds website and sending us this, you know, um, this nice little mail and keep us, you know, keep us honest about using language properly. But for some reason, the website or this come through the Facebook site. This came through the website. So okay, yeah, you should also check us out on on Facebook. Oh, yeah, it's a good point. Such Nerds. Yes, we are starting. We're trying to expand our our digital footprint. Um, but I just think it's interesting that this, uh, that this listener, um, is able to find our website and is unable to find <laughs> Webster's <laughs> dictionary, any website that will provide a definition, including general search engines. <laughs> All right. To be fair, I think that, um, I think Nerd Adjacent might be playing 4D chess, as Dan likes to say. Nerd Adjacent might be a second foundationer. Yeah, clearly. You know, we may be getting really subterfuged. Do... We may be getting subterfuged by by our yeah. Nerd Adjacent second it's, foundationer. It sounds like it's like a it's like an old Asimov nucleic dictionary mechanism by which you go to a website, submit an email. <laughs> Wait for them to receive it, record said episode, edit it, post it weeks later, and then at some point in the future, you receive your dictionary definition that you wanted. It's just with like a several week delay. It'd be a Morse code. Yeah. So yeah. it's like a Rube Goldberg. Def- it's not so much the Such Nerds website as it is a Rube Goldberg dictionary. Really. You got it. So, all things. I, I, all think that, um, I think that we're being second foundationed. And that they're yeah. trying to actually help us fact check ourselves, well, which makes me suspicious of... that I've been using the term subterfuge wrong this entire time. <laughs> you know, well, I don't think you've hey. used it wrong every time you've used it, but I can't I couldn't quite keep track of all the times you used it because you used it so many times, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Which is probably but, why it's stuck stuck out in this particular listener's head. I mean, to be fair, I am a neophyte to the the English language. Clearly, <laughs> clearly, <laughs> yes. Literally, well, that, he says, thanks for your thanks for your mail. 
Yes, um, we do. We always appreciate so, it. As, as Wonderful. Can, Thank you again. You can nerd see Jason. I always enjoy your suchnerds.com and submit your questions and perhaps uh, you can have it read on the air. And if you have other words you're looking to know the, dex- the dictionary definition of, feel free to send them to us via our <laughs> website, porter slash dictionary device. Uh, fantastic. All right. <laughs> moving on. <laughs> Dan, as usual, I'm sure you have a lovely, eloquent, and succinct summary for us so please take it away thank you jason from connecticut so we begin this section with the current first citizen lord stetton in conversation with his first minister lev miris about the future engagement with the foundation and their current visitor homer mudd stetton also allows his mistress lady calia to entertain arcadia during her visit at stetton's palace arcadia regales calia with tales of the foundation and plants the idea with the mistress of a new empire for her lordship with predictable results following a brief detour through the mind of dr durrell we rejoin homer mudd and arcadia inside the mule's palace after two weeks of inspection, Uncle Homer is given an offer he can't refuse by Stetton, while Arcadia is warned to take flight before she receives a similar proposition. You know, the first two chapters are a little bit quick, but that there's a lot of wallop in that third chapter. It's very dense. It's very, very dense. And there's something a little special. I don't want to, like, blow it, you know, this early in the discussion, but I think we should remember to get around to it by the end of our conversation, you know, that send-off of our hero, Arcadia involves a particular reveal that is quite interesting, or I found maybe, I guess, not surprising after I read it, but uh, it was very unique and... Well uh, hidden. Well hidden. Mm. Well hidden. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Our Lady Arcady. Mm. Mm-hmm. Hanging out with Homer J. Munn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> junior, vice, junior Vice President Homer J. Munn. I didn't do any investigation because I was a little worried about getting spoiled for the rest of the story. But I'm kind of curious, these names. They're a little bit weird. The spelling's a little bit off. They're a little bit strange sometimes. You know, I'm wondering, is there some method to the madness that Isimov has when he selects these names? Is he like doing like anagrams of other words? Is there some hidden meaning in there that we're kind of missing as we kind of glaze over the name and try to focus on the story. So that's an interesting uh, concept because Isaac Asimov, that's not his real name, right? That wasn't his original name. His logic behind it was that he took three common words in the English language and basically like mush them together. It's like am, I, and I forget what the last one is, but you can look it up. And so it's probably a similar like logic that he's using. And he's like mangling these things together. Then they're, you know, maybe there's some humorous joke behind them that I don't get. I always just kind of took it as an attempt at like language and name drift. But you're probably right. There's probably a, another level. We're missing something. Uh, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Homer instead of Homer, right? right. Homer is a famous uh, Western literature works for lack yeah, of a better term. But and Homer Simpson was nothing yet. Yeah, 30 years too too soon for Homer J. Simpson, unfortunately. So I was, I don't know why I was thinking this. I was washing my hands at the kitchen sink and I thought of Bale Chanis. And aside from the fact that Chanis is like this obscure name, the the first name Bale and Mm -hmm. like, did he... 
like I don't know if the bail, like the verb bail, has anything to do with like his actions. And I, I was just trying to like pin something together that looked like it could, you know, make a an actual garment. I, I, I didn't have like a, a good clear thought. He had a rough night with some Baileys. Yeah. And uh, some Baileys. And, <laughs> yeah. Some, sometimes the name is just the name. It's like they yeah. say, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. No. Chanis the Manus. But <laughs> Chanis the Manus, yes. A little bit of uh, get the juices flowing there, kind of just, you know, icebreaker type uh, questions I had kicking around my head. But I think we should get into the story a little bit because there's some interesting things in the uh, in the story going on here. Yeah, I mean, Cal- Calgan, you know, starting out uh, laying into it as like this fabulous sort of Las Vegas style luxury uh, sort of escape in terms of uh, a little bit of history at the start and how that all went went along fine until the time of the mule. And then at which point he sort of... Happy, uh, happy fun times are over. Su- sucked Calgan. all of the enjoyment out of anything to the point where it didn't recover. Right. They're constantly under this pursuit of like empire domination, universe domination, galaxy domination, instead of being this amazing pleasure planet that it was. But it's like both, isn't it? Didn't they say like the from like a political perspective, they're... In this now, they're in this pattern of like the leader is getting targeted by the second highest or second most popular, and he's trying to take him out so he can be in charge. And it's like this same throwback to the empire when they were watching out for their aristocracy because somebody was going to try to stab him in the back when they weren't looking and take their place. But at the same time, it's still a, a vacation planet, right? They said, like, no matter what happened, it was always a uh, a thriving, like, tourist industry. It's warm. Yeah, you know, they, they went there on their honeymoon, the, the original Durrells, because it was warm and you could sit in the sun, you know. So it probably maintains all its climactic advantages, even if it, right. it's not. But it's, it's like, diminished, right? Yeah. The, the glamour is uh, is gone. I wanted to read this section just because it was eyes him off in his pop. But, you know, he talks about it. He said... Calgan was at the service, therefore, successively and successfully of the effete and perfumed dandies of the imperial court with their sparkling and libidinous ladies of the rough and raucous warlords who ruled in iron in the worlds they had gained in blood with their unbridled and lascivious wenches of the plump and luxurious businessmen of the foundation with their lush and flagitious mistresses. Yeah, I, there's a few pronunciations in there that I struggled with, like, isn't it a fet? Yeah, possibly. Derived from the FET, like F-E-T-E, which is like a like an excessive feast, right? Yeah, it's French. I, I thought was it meant like what airs flig- of... Uh, I thought it was phlegitious, but apparently it's phlegitious. I'm place. a phlegician myself. Yeah. So you struck me more as a perfume dandy, you know, personally, but I guess perfume dandy of the imperial court. But that's, it really sounds... That's a like completely quite, fair assessment. Like quite the place. Libidinous. I had to look up like three of those words when I came across them. Libidinous, right? Isn't it libidinous was the one that was kind of obvious there. But Unbridled. Peter. Unbridled and lascivious wench. Not ridden like a horse, Peter. Not all. Yes. No bridle to be seen. Um, zero bridle. I think it, you're constantly trying to rein me in on this podcast. My, my, I'm more of a luxurious businessman with my and a, a phlegitious yeah, mistress. and what does phlegitious mean? And your devil may care hair. It's been, uh, I, as I, I looked it up, I've kind of forgot, but I think it means like untrustworthy, basically. Somebody who's like not to be trusted. 
It's probably says something like, possessing of much flagit. <laughs> that that is a perfect assessment of you. Yeah, it's just like I don't know the definition either. What dictionary? <laughs> just conjugate the verb for you and throw it right back to you. Why don't you go to a different page where they define flagit? Buy me five minutes to actually find Keep out looking. what definition is. Yeah, Keep sorry. looking, Dan. Like my father used to say, well, we should look it up in the dictionary. And I tried. And um, but yeah, it's it sounds like quite the place, but it, clearly the mule has sort of put a, the kibosh on all that. And you figure yeah. once he's gone, they could recover, but it doesn't seem like they have. No, they they still think they're at the the future seat of the Second Empire, and so uh, everybody is chasing after that kind of dream, that diminished dream, and it has, yeah, like put a dulled the shine of the planet, which was previously outside of politics, mm-hmm. with now its it's the center of politics. Yeah. Yeah, yeah now, and that's how we now get one of the centers. That's how we get introduced to the new Lord of Calgan. Um, you know, and he sort of postulates himself as this, you know, second uh second second empire type of figure. Um mm-hmm. but you know, it's like I had throw the throwbacks to again Bill Rios, the guy, oh it's from the you know, he's a go-getter and he's gonna make the you know, why not me? Why can't I be the the person who has the next empire, you know? With his his buddy Lev Miris there, um, yeah, doesn't seem like a super effective minister. You know, he just yeah. basically and makes I, a big point about his hooked nose and gaunt and sunken cheek, and that's about the extent of it. Yeah, and I was thoroughly unimpressed with Lady Kalia. Kalia, yeah, Kalia, yeah. Well, Kalia. We're gonna go with Kalia. We're gonna go with Kalia. Continuing in the vein of our of uh, the guy from uh, from from the Wood Planet, just belittling his his wife by calling her old woman. He seems to be of the same the same the vein. Same ilk. Comes yeah. in, says, just "Shut up, lady! Like, what are you doing in here? You're, right? Why are you coming? I mean, Pucci, which I think is funny. To be fair, she can't even make like lichen moonshine, you know, in the back." <laughs> She doesn't seem, you know, but, he's basically But she like, does uh, like exhibit this effect on him where like it starts out, he's all bristly and all, you know, feathers ruffled. And like within a few sentences, he's like kind of complacent and going with see, the flow. Like a ch- it, t- it took me, it struck me as very childlike, right? Like right. all of a sudden he kind of like, like, he's like an she's sitting in his child. lap and he's like kind of pissed off. And then she like puts his head on her shoulder. Right. Foreshadows a little bit. To the right, you find right. out later, but he the, he also gave her a bit of the sardonic eye. Yes, he in does. chapter there, yeah, which is basically the most scathing thing you can do in the eyes of Yeah, nineteen verse exactly. It's yeah, like murder is less uh, less severe than sardonic looks. Basically, because she's basically saying she wants to hang out with Arcadia because she loves children, and he's sort of intimating that you know she's trying to upgrade from mistress to uh, to wife. Um, yeah, and he was—he's not having it. Yeah, he's got to save that for powerful political moves. <laughs> it, so if I guess kind of falling back from last the last section, once the mule goes, everyone's set point goes back to its initial initial place. It's not like the people he's controlled stays controlled; they basically right. go back to zero, and then you know everyone sort of wakes up from a dream, like, "Hey, what the heck's going on?" You know, what was Is I doing the last five years? Yeah, it wasn't like, like does he constantly control. have to exert his will to keep the the brain changed, or does he like literally like rewire the circuit and now it runs on a different yeah. wavelength? It 
that was he never ads. goes back unless he he, he needs to have a it. constant influence that because that was like one of the things that was mentioned in the, the first part of this book was that it was kind of incredible that he could have his influence over so such a long distance and he's essentially talking to these people on the radio or whatever i don't know televisor yeah you know business sonar business. whatever it is yeah but he he like projects makes the change like because they talked about pritchard right he has to see him in space get converted then he can disappear like he fit he it's like he rewires the brain you know new twisted pair solders it together in the new terminal and it's it's now a new circuit makes a right? crossover cable yeah. Yeah, and it, it, he doesn't. He's not tweaking the knobs anymore. It's just set and forget. So now Pritchard, when the mule dies, in my head, I'm thinking like this poor guy. Now you know, like I have to reconsider my association with Pritchard because it's just really a sad end. If you if if this is how it happened, but I'm thinking, Han Pritchard. Think Pritchard got rewired. Well, he at least got rewired to to love the mule. Then the mule dies, and it's like everything he lived for is now gone, and mm. he's just like you know, vacuous and like a vegetable walking around in a daze because he's loyal to something that doesn't exist. And so he's just like probably needs a, somebody to remind him to, to eat his breakfast and take his meds and walk mm. around the neighborhood. And he can't remember what people's well, names are. He's not lobotomized. And... Yeah, that's kind the question. Of, though. Who knows? I think so. No, kind that's of. just like his core motivation is like to be loyal to the mule. I, I just wonder if even if the power, if the, if it was really the case that, the mule could rewire your brain and just kind of like let you go. Um, there must be some kind of maintenance involved because there would otherwise it would be this massive collective mourning of like the upper echelon of society that he had forged under the empire. And they would carry on in his memory, essentially. Mm-hmm. Like that, that would be what I would think instead of them like squabbling amongst themselves. So I think that there's probably some kind of, yeah, like almost like a dreamlike effect that needs to ma- be maintained after a certain bit. You're right. He could let him go. He could let Pritchard run all over the universe uh, trying to find Second Foundation, but there was always a check-in. And so I'm thinking that that was probably a, a logistical point. Otherwise, I think they would keep be carrying on. They would just be doing their thing, and Hans Pritchard would probably be at the top of the, the empire carrying on the memory of the mule. And the second foundation kind of jerked the leash on the mule too, because um, that was like the end of the first part, right? They tweaked the mule's brain just a little bit to make him forget about second foundation and be like this benevolent, benign, you know, ruler of his, you know, mm-hmm. of his empire, quote unquote. Right. Um, so maybe that had an effect of him like kind of softly unconverting some people or not converting more people. I, I don't know. Maybe it had an effect on the converted as well. We don't have a good feel for how big the second foundation actually is. Right. So they could be working in subterfuge, undoing the work that was done by the mule. Like, oh, you know, I, I have made eye contact with this person and, you know, unwired yeah, the brain they, to love the mule. They make a point about it in sort of the intro with like you're saying the power kind of turned over from person to person and he was essentially the admiral of the navy or whatever and that's how he got to be the you know the new ruler but it seems clear that they're just sort of living in the past they haven't exactly found a way to move forward with their society because you know it's like they have this museum set up to the guy 
and then no one's yeah, it's like superstitious, superstitious reverence. Like yeah. he's a godlike figure, and they're just waiting for, you know, they haven't exactly been like, okay, well now we have to move forward in X, Y, and Z way. It's just like it's like literally just a relic. Nothing's gone forward. Violate like the tomb of the prophet. Yeah, you know? but I guess this new, you know, Mister, uh, you know, Mister Stetton is apparently going to be a, a man of action, and he's going to take over and and you know. In in but to, in some ways fair, shadier than others, he's going to try to sort of, uh, you know. The only the, reason he did that was because of the subterfuge from Our Lady Arcady, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. she backfed the information to Calia. Yeah, Calia, our favorite plump princess, and into Stetton's mind. That, Pucci, okay, called by his proper name, Pucci, into Pucci's mind. Yeah, to, to the to Pucci. Pucci has gone back to his home planet. Yeah, uh, exactly. And he was never heard from again. So yeah, so Pucci, uh, Pucci went in and gave Homer Homer Munn the uh, the permission to, you know, check out the itchy and scratchy cartoons that are yeah. buried the tomb of say, the mule. So I'm talking about subterfuge inside of an episode of Homer. Yeah, the Pucci character. Yeah, I'm wondering if that whole episode was inspired by Second Foundation now. <laughs> yeah, they didn't know about it that before, and I was like, well, what's Pucci? You know, it's a stupid cat character. And it's like, oh, he's never heard from ever again. Interestingly, like, we had the mule, right, named after a, well, for his own reason, but named after a stubborn, but at least a strong and willful animal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then now we have the new guy who's named after a loyal pet, or at least his pet name is, mm-hmm. you know, man's best loyal, obedient friend. So that's kind of kind of interesting and foreboding. And she and, and he obviously recoils against it. You know, every time she brings it up, he's like, "Don't call me that." You know, well, even he tries to present himself as a strong leader, and they did say he's like six six and he's a big guy, but like. She clearly is like, well, you used to like being called Poochie. And it's like, he's not very supportive and caring. No, it's not a, it's not a great relationship that they have. Um, you know, he's kind of, I mean, I guess when he picked her up as a 16 year old, uh, you know, mistress, I don't know what the time frame of mistresses are and what he had in mind, but I mean, I get the impression that they rose to power together, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe. Maybe he keeps her around because, you know, she loved him before he had money kind of situation hmm. so he knows he can trust maybe. her yeah or knowing what she is you know maybe she's yeah. playing a long game the entire time they talk about how weak the currency is which i thought was great yes you know, she, she goes into town with the with uncle homer's 10 foundation credits and she gets like fat stacks a million calganids she's just rolling in dough so i went to many years ago i went to vietnam for work and literally at the time we have the Vietnamese currency called the dong, and it was 17,000 Vietnamese dong to the dollar. And so, like, you go and you you change, like, $200, and you get, like, 3.4 million Vietnamese dong. Like, just, it's just like a joke. The money is so useless. Like, all the bills are so high. Like, it, like it, it renders your understanding about money and how everything works as, like, completely moot. Because you would go to the market, and there would be all this haggling. They like to haggle. And, like, I would be haggling with these guys over, like, 500 dong which like is seven cents and i'd be like no i can't pay 500 i have to pay seven hundred and literally i'm arguing over like four cents but it sounds like a lot of money because it's like 500 you right. know it's in your head like monopoly money you know 
yeah. that I would get these arguments. And I'm like, wait a minute, what am I doing here? Like, I, they, they give me, a, I couldn't even turn in a 500 dong bill at the airport because they didn't have it in the book because it was such a useless small amount of money. It was like four cents or five cents. And so meanwhile, like, it just changes your entire perspective about sort of what money means. And so she's in the same situation. She gets, you know, a terribly thick sheaf of calganids, and she's like, you know, up and getting her hair done and going to shows and sort of like. Treat yourself. Living on the town. Treat yourself. Very Massages. An interesting, um, you know, an interesting tidbit. And again, I know I always get hung up on like the economics and the logistics of these, you know, this space environment. But it's very nerd like and a real turnoff for this podcast. I know. Jason. I, know. I should, I should shy away from it, but I can't. I'm, I'm big in economics too, so I'm, I'm happy to go down this, this uh, wormhole. So. so when they talk about it being this like vacation world, when I think of like, uh, like prime vacation spot, it's like Hawaii, right? It's expensive to get there. It's expensive to do anything there, but it's worth it because it's amazing and beautiful. And like, everybody still wants to go there. Right. right. And then there's also like the kind of like the middle of the road and it's like really nice on the resort, but, Maybe you don't really want to kind of wander around town. And then there's like, you know, the middle of nowhere that if you're just looking for a quiet place, you know, you can for a couple of bucks, like rent somebody's room and nobody cares because nobody has anything. So nobody steals anything. And you're just like in the middle of nowhere with like people who just aren't in, on the Internet and all this kind of stuff. But then like in this planet, it's almost like everything is super cheap at least by foundation currency standard, but they have this kind of Hawaii-like stigma. So it didn't quite add up for me, and I couldn't make sense of that. If it's such an amazing place, why don't why isn't stuff through the roof and people paying through the nose for it? Yeah. If if this place was so desirable, yeah, yeah, why why aren't we paying Disney World? Well, part of it, yeah, yeah, part of it is you know, like your Hawaii point. A lot of the costs in Hawaii are just logistical because you have to fly everything in and like so it's just because it's remote and removed so like you could have an island that's like you you could talk about florida there's you know coastline it depends how much coastline you have you could have a cheaper place that wouldn't be like so expensive like hawaii compared to something else but like the point is still a salient one that like if it's this magical world that's so special, there has to be, like you're saying, there has to be some downside to why it would be cheap. Yeah, if you leave the hotel compounds, you're going to get knifed and shot. What is the Calganian downside as to why it's not like, you know, the Riviera, French Riviera? The only thing I could think of is like, if you go back to the that era, right, post-war, you know, everybody had been out to these like beautiful islands in the Pacific, even though they were, you know, dodging bullets and killing people. Getting shelled. They, they realized there's these magical islands out in the Pacific and the people didn't even have money or, or they traded fish for, you know, grain. And that was like the economy or whatever the case was and the cargo cult and all this other stuff. Um, maybe there was like an actual pocket of the industry that if you could manage the logistics, right, if you could hop on a military flight as a, you know, as a tag along and go out to this Civic. tropical island, you could like just have a beautiful vacation on the cheap, right? And I feel like maybe there was a little bit of that even with Hawaii at the time, um, or maybe earlier before the war, where it was this kind of like 
place in the middle of the ocean. And if you were rich enough to be able to handle the logistics, you could go out to Hawaii and just like live like a king, you know? So maybe the times were different. Okay. Why is, if Calgans is paradise world, why is the exchange rate so terrible? Mm. I mean, it could be the fact that they're still trying to be a, a military superpower uh, instead of embracing mm. their fate as a paradise world. You know, so everything like people don't want to go there because there's this threat of of imminent invasion. So the exchange rate is all screwed up. Maybe they're just not getting the tourists that they used to. The mule inflated the currency tremendously to buy all this military hardware, and like they just have this, this tremendous <laughs> this sort of, the market is just flooded with Calgonids because he just printed all this money so he can buy it's, just like because he was in a, to take yeah. over. When you figure if you're gonna take over the galaxy, you require quite a you know a defense budget. Uh, to support that, and so right, he's got like you know, Yugoslavian that that's dollars why the that they're burning so by the, they're literally burning it for heat. The, the old guns and it. butter, guns and butter analogy from the uh, 19, 1960s uh, Vietnam War era um, inflationary concerns. Possibly that has something to do with the, the cal- weakness of the Calganid, but it's probably enough for this week's uh, Calganian economics corner podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All of this is getting cut. <laughs> no, it's, it's oh, yeah, I thought that was interesting. I mean, it's a, it's an interesting idea, right? Why is the exchange rate so wonky? I yeah. mean, it makes for it makes for a fun outing for her, our mm-hmm. our lady Arcady, right? She's got a day of treat yourself, you know. She's picking up fine leather goods. It, it doesn't. You're right. It doesn't make sense from a traditional standpoint of a Disney World like resort planet. Right. Where you can have anything you want, and you know yeah. everything should be super expensive, but maybe it's maybe it's the equivalent of like Thailand and Laos at this mm-hmm. point because it's the government is unstable, therefore it's the third world. You know, here they call it the third. You go to those places, and you're like, oh yeah, it's totally the third world. I get it. I get the difference. Right. Yeah. the The roads are dirt. The people are pretty happy. You leave the city, yeah. and it's like people just like water buffaloes you know it's a tourism economy like i don't even know where the food is grown i mean probably it just grows on trees and they just eat the it's like it's just bananas oranges and bananas and mangoes and everything just falls in your lap and it's a banana based economy it's a banana republic that's where that term comes from it's from calgam ecuador in the in whatever 1950s when you know it's literally just that was the economy um but yeah I mean, by the u.s government <laughs> yeah well, that's another that's another podcast i can spend a lot of time talking about the virus welcome to our podcast. such conspiracies podcast the chiquita bananas podcast um but yeah i thought, I thought the other thing i highlighted in that section that was funny was when she starts asking about the foundation you know and and um so when the first time that lady kalia meets arcadia she's like kind of fawning over her about the foundation, right? She's like, tell me all about it. And she's like, tell me about something about, like she thinks it's so interesting. And Arcadia's like, yeah, but it's like not really interesting. It's kind of boring. And she's like. She's like a typical teenage girl. And she's like, it's so boring. Uh, she's like, I always love video stories about your traders, such big savage men. It's always so exciting. Is your friend Mr. Munn one of them? He doesn't seem nearly savage enough. Most of the traders had 
beards, big bass voices, and were so domineering with women. Don't you think so? Yeah, that's exactly the phrase I was about to say when you cut me off for skipping. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Dan. But no, that was, I mean, I was going to say the exact same thing. Like, it's pretty funny because we hadn't heard about the traders in a while and and she kind of goes into the next thing being like oh whatever that's history and you know it was interesting at the time because they were kind of forerunners of the civilization but um that's all in the past like but i guess you know how there's much there's no more peter days available how much to the news makes ruling the empire <laughs> with his big bass voice and then she's like uncle homer and he's like well he's a librarian and she's like oh <laughs> I just imagine uh, Uncle Homer being like this kind of like tubby, out of shape, like, you know, shapeless man. Yeah. Like, who just loves books. He's so good. Wears his velvet robes at night. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty funny because I was thinking about our buddy Nathan, Nathan Devers. Now he, he, uh, at the time he was, you know, super badass and he was a traitor and he was doing all these cool things. And then like, he literally spent the rest of his life, like dying on a salt mine or whatever the heck he ended up doing. Like the reality right. of that situation, he was shredded the history of what he was doing. It literally became a, it became a thing after he got back to reality, his life kind of went petered out. And it seems like the same thing here. She's like, Oh, it's so exciting having these badass traitors and, you know, giant beards. And you never super... want your life to peter out. You want it to peter up. Yeah. Yeah. Great. I was gonna say it petered out in a in the bet in the negative connotation way. Yeah, with the... less Peter. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Clearly. Yes. Uh, yeah. And, uh, once you become <laughs> but, fully indoctrinated, Dan, you'll prefer not is, to use that kind of language. <laughs> is she's is she implying that being domineering or filming is like is a positive? Like that it was something that Well I, that that was what, how it struck me. It's like she's like admiring these like you know, big burly men, and they're like, "Oh, they're so like rough and tumble, and you know, it's a lumberjack. just like you know, they don't ask lumberjack. questions; they just you know, you know, push themselves on their women, and you know that kind of thing." It's like she wants that kind of guy. Yeah, but well, on I, the side of the foundation, it's like more. I guess it's more reality. sexy. It's not really the, what you're gonna her get. Calganian, right? Yeah. You know, sniveling, backstabbing. More yeah, well, we don't yeah. have traders I figured just corporations. Was, I, I, what I figured was it was just like a bodice ripper, right? Like it's like a, a like a like a sexy romance tale that you would pick up, like you know, for two dollars at the, at the grocery store novel. with like Fabio on it. You know, mm-hmm. selling yeah. you. He can't believe it's not tin. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah, the transmutator yeah. of love. Exactly. <laughs> She's like, you know, we don't have traders anymore, just corporations and things. Like, oh, it's yeah. Really, what a shame. That what does Mister Run do? And I mean, if he's not a trader, and she's like, he's a librarian. They say we. He said. She says we don't have traders anymore, just corporations and things. Things. Yeah. Or does she mean we just have corporations and things? That's, I think it's that we just have corporations and things like it's just like the the, the buccaneering sort of like you really like remember the, the first book with the traders just going from place to place these crazy nucleics and they're just like you know making these vast fortunes and opening up it's like if you imagine you know the, the history of America like this manifest destiny period where 
you know, we're going to go in this unexplored territory and there's this frontier. And that's and great. Frontier, but like now we're at a pioneering. point. They're, they're a point where every single resource has been found and tapped. And like you're just squeezing the last drops out of, you know, the 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 economy and, and the existing and, and every last ounce of exactly. tin in the universe. Exactly. Yeah. And like that, that's sort of, you know, sweet, what they have. Sweet, it's yeah. like this late stage capitalism where they just have corporations that are just pushing paper around. It seems like, like that. and things. Like, the corporations and things. Yeah. I almost took it like we almost have like all we have is producers and their products. That's how I mm. read oh, it at first. Things. And then yeah. I was like, oh, maybe it's just like a manner of speech. Mm. Uh, Everything well, is not. as you've seen maybe on it is televisor. Just producers and products. Like maybe that is what he means. The, the producers and the things they make. That's all we've got. No adventures, no, um, no conquests, and et cetera, et cetera. But, right. So, so let me get to the point where she is sort of planting the seed inside Callie's mind about about uh you know about how Staten can be this new you know mule 2.0 or whatever the the yeah, leader she did travel empire. like 10,000 light years to plant that seed the second yeah. the second empire and this is kind of maybe we can kind of move into the part the reveal but you know I'm kind of, you, you read it in the one way you're like wow this Callie is kind of a dunce and you know she's being played by a 14 year old girl she takes the hint and passes it along and you know it gets the end yeah, of the she chapter. takes it hook line and sinker yeah so. it gets the end of the chapter and you know Arcadia was delighted she knew what had happened or at any rate she thought she did and it was kind of like well knowing what you know at the end is it uh you know who's playing whom in this scenario it's funny like we, we were talking about game of thrones uh earlier and it's like the like khaleesi or daenerys as is her real name you know she's 14 years old and she's mm -hmm. playing like this master seductress mm -hmm. and like power player and you're like yeah have you ever met a 14 year old girl mm -hmm. like <laughs> this is not like how their brains work mm -hmm. and like and I think like the false proficiency is funny. Like it, it's mm -hmm. like it's something that you can only really look back on like later in life and be like, oh, okay. Yeah. There was like a whole nother thing going on there that you just missed. Yeah. Now it seems like that's what he's, he's, he's intimating Asimov is in the chapter, but so yeah. I guess, you know, we get to the big reveal in, in the, at the end of the, the next chapter. But do you think that, Lady Callia sort of organized everything the whole throughout the whole bit. Well, in light of the of the final reveal on the last page of the last chapter that mm -hmm. we read today, yeah, absolutely. I think that she was playing some kind of long game with some uh, levels of subterfuge with the false airheadedness that mm -hmm. she's been playing has given her um, an edge so that people like drop their guard around her. And don't take her seriously because she's effectively harmless, right? In a lot of ways, it's kind of like what the mule did, mm -hmm. right? The just the gesture, yeah. the the you know the clown, like nobody really pays attention to Not him. Threatening. He's got a slight frame, right? She's plump and looking a little bit past her prime. It seems um, she's not the because uh, she's older than sixteen now. Right. Right. Well, even yeah. I mean, other than that, <laughs> she's like thirty something. <laughs> right. That was that was yeah, just a so, bit of a shocker. Yeah. Like I mean, she's older. 16. You know, she's not. She's not this prize that she was. Right. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, she's using all of that as a means for people to underestimate her so that she can manipulate them more easily. Right. That and her crazy second foundation emotional superpowers. Oh, and he reveals it. Oh, yeah. If she's a second foundationer and she has positioned herself at age 16 to undermine a future Lord of Calgan, there's got to be second foundationers all over the place. People seeds planted throughout society that are unassuming, unexpected, and then they're, but secretly they're these teenage super psychologists who are either on the track to become super psychologists or are already super psychologists. Like, like how is that possible? And I mean, if, it, if it's at 16 that this is happening, right? If it, or is it that they get, are, are they even of the same species of human or are they like a, a select like strain or mm-hmm. uh, ethnicity or race of like super sensitives? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, is it that they undergrow, like, you know, where we go to elementary school, they're undergoing emotional training school, right? Yeah. And then it's like, oh, at, at 16, you're, you're, uh, you're primed to you know, for this particular assignment, right? I'm imagining that they're not just we pushing don't know. 16 year old girls out into the uh, universe to be, we never, we you know, never find out. enslaved essentially to be mistresses. Yeah. Yeah. There's no details at any point in time, other than these little snippets of the last section about what second foundation is, how many people are there, what their operation is, nothing, you know, right. you're just getting these little flickers about what, how they are and what they are. Yeah, yeah, we still don't definitively know where Second Foundation is. And apparently there is a location to it, or at least to whatever their super weirdo computer system is that they can maintain but could never build. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. What was that thing called? The Prime Radiant. The Prime Prime Radiant. But it's just a little bot. Like, it's a little thing, right? And he puts it on the desk, and then it projects everywhere. So it's like... Is that all it is? It's not like a room full of circuits. I thought it was like a room they walked into. Yeah, I thought it was a giant room, but you're probably right. It makes more sense to, like, it's like a little box that projects. That's how I read it. It's like he put the thing on the desk, and somehow, like, it projected on all the walls. Even though they were standing between the thing and the walls, it still managed to project everywhere all around the room. So I guess basically at the end of that chapter, the uh, the first citizen or whatever just puts the lets them into the into the uh, lets them into the palace just as kind of a trap to to get Mun into where he wants them, and then basically launches the war games, which seems to be you know quasi attack on the foundation as mm. as kicking off you know the mule's greatest hits with another another. Uh, voyage out to to start uh conquering again and then homer just breaks down basically under light questioning just becomes a puddle yeah stutters the 14 year old girl has more like resolve and backbone than this life just nobody raises their voice in the library peter so he's not used to this type of question yeah and then he literally cannot even speak and then you know he moves on he moves on to you're gonna be my prisoner here and then oh by the way i hear this 14 year old girl is from a a family i don't know if she he intends to just remistress her or whatever but clearly not good intent with what's a hero of the foundation right yeah 
He's just like, how old is he? 14 now? Well, you know, 14, soon enough, you'll be. And it's yeah, like, girls turn into women. Darker right, and darker right, and darker every page. And then a, a, a woman is, you know, 16. So yeah. all he's got to do soon is like enough, wait two years. 15, and, then, and then even Homer's like, uh, not great. Yeah. And then, this is bad news. It's not, not great. You know, it's fine. Take me as your yeah. prisoner. But, you know. And I mean, he, and he stole that 14-year-old girl, yeah, you know. Exactly. It's like Jabba the Hutt with the. Uh, with um, Leia sort of chained to her. <laughs> so grimy. And then so Kalia comes in through her secret doorway and sort of uh, whisks her out the door. Yep. And, and I like that, like, the, like the, the veil or the mask drops for, like, a moment. Yeah. She's like, she listen. It. Listen, you stupid child. Yeah. Well, that was the part I didn't follow, too, is it's like, you know, she, she makes – is it because – Kalia makes her makes herself aware, or is Arcadia just somewhat perceptive too? Whether there she becomes. I mean, aware. I get the feeling that um, our lady Arcadia has a. Uh, I, I get a get the sense that she has a touch of the instinct, mm. right? It's a like, touch of the I think, prescience, as it were. Yeah, she's got a touch of the prescience. She's been dabbling in the spice just a tad, just right? A and I I get the impression that Beta is also like that, mm-hmm. right? And I, I would not be surprised if later we found out, like, oh, you know, Beta was like a long lost daughter of a second foundationer or something like that, you know, or you know, he was, she was the offspring of a, a rogue second foundationer. Yeah. You know, it's like a Star Wars situation. Who fell it. in love with, you know, Lady Bene Jessica of the Bene Gesserit. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, <laughs> just the Quizex Hotterox slash. Jedi mind trick Han Solo brother screwed it all up because that they were supposed to marry the the mule and a Harkonnen (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, exactly (laughs) and then she's just like here take all my stuff sneaks her out the door here take my let my least sultry dresses and my my, (laughs) you know yeah and I I do love that like the whole reality of the game comes crashing down on Arcady in that moment she's like and then she felt like a like a stupid child playing like a like a yes in overhead very dangerous game but yeah but peter and meanwhile I, her dad is like just like brewing on how much yeah, he we didn't second foundation and not <laughs> worrying about it at all you gotta skip that part where he's just like just complete buffoon like she's <laughs> like oh second foundation ruined has, my life has, <laughs> I don't care what's happening to my daughter. As the housekeeper, like, launched on this giant aside about the terribleness oh, yeah, of war, yeah. and he's like, just say something? Yeah, <laughs> like something. <laughs> huh? No, doesn't say anything. Was, and he brooding. leaves in a huff, and he doesn't even notice that yeah. either. It's just like, oh, man. This but Peter. Doing. Sorry, but, but Peter, I have to tell, I have to be honest with you here. Don't. As always... I had like multiple thoughts of like, oh, this kind of like, I bet Peter's like, I was thinking of you while I was reading it. Basically is what I'm trying to say is I kept thinking of Peter because all I could think of all of this Arcadia stuff, I started thinking like, I I feel like Peter might have to come out and say that it's not really Hober Mallow. It's not really Salver Harden. It's Arcadia Durrell that he really associates with. I mean, I often feel like a stupid child who's in and over his head. Yeah, and, and, and a 14-year-old girl. Escape to right, escape as well. 
different <laughs> situations or is right. being groomed. I'm also but, often taking advantage of uh, of currency yeah. evaluation for <laughs> no, currency trading, sneak, trading sneaking uh, away in the, inter- in the <laughs> cargo <laughs> areas of strange men. I'm letting people yes. like strangers into my house all the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but Durrell doesn't doesn't do himself any favors there. And and when uh, and what hit me so hard at the end of this chapter and sealed the deal for me because like now that we've gotten to the end of these three chapters now i know that there, there's no <laughs> question in my mind that you're gonna have to change your association with from hober mallow to arcadia now because at the very last does she get down chapters because that feels very inappropriate no. No, that's actually not what happened. Well, she does when she's changing into the clothes, so she's well, yeah, not that's recognized. A panic change. We, we but that was to me that's like a up. that's like a transient thing. That's not what was the the real deal sealer for me. The real deal sealer for me was that at the very end here. So that above all, though they located every conspirator on the foundation, although they caught her own father, she could not dared not risk a warning. She could not risk her own life, not in the slightest, for the entire realm of Terminus. She was the most important person <laughs> in the galaxy. There you go. <laughs> she was the only important person in the galaxy. And yeah, at well, that moment, fine. I was like, oh, my that's God, fair. this is well, Peter. So do you that's think fair. she, like, I was reading that part, and do you think I mean, she's she... the salvation. You, you don't want to risk that. Do you think that's the reality of the situation? Or she's sort of like losing her head a little bit in terms of what the actual uh, circumstances are? I think, I think because like, I she knows home. everything that's going on. That's mm-hmm. why she feels like she she needs to tip off the foundation to the invasion. She <clears throat> needs to. And but then, then she, she, she kind of comes to the realization like... of where the second foundation is, too. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. And I think that's, that's the point. why yeah. she's the most important person. Because Well, Jay, I mean, she, does, she doesn't even smoke. So how important could she be? Well... We don't know. She's fourteen. She, she can start smoking at sixteen. Which I was is say, what's the age of, what is the age of consent? Okay. As long as Calgan, it was the, the age of yeah. tobacco consumption in yeah. Calgan. Yeah. I mean, I'm honestly, I'm surprised it's not fourteen in terms. Well, because it's, it's a civilized world, nation. It's a world of <laughs> fantasy and uh, escape. Yeah, no, it's so, it it's pretty funny because you know, like the whole time you're reading these chapters and you're like. I get the sense Callie is kind of like a pushover, whatever character, and you find out towards right. the end, hey, she's been you know playing 4D chess the whole time. I I kind of stopped hating on Isimov when I encounter these situations because like I have to say I've swung like the pendulum has swung for me like to extremes because when I first started reading Foundation, I wasn't thinking anything about it. Then you know Peter and Russ bring to my attention that like you know you didn't realize like there's no women in this story and i'm like oh my gosh it didn't even dawn on me now i'm like like a hawkeye every time a, a woman's name is mentioned i'm like oh he's oh, isimov he's you know he's such a chauvinist you know like he's a misogynist I'm like, I'm, yeah, yeah i'm just like already expecting him to just be disrespectful or 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 not treat it 
you know, in the right way. Well, then, but then we got beta. Finally. But then, yeah, yeah. So then he like he kept like surprising me and kind of turning it around, and and now beta was the only competent one. I'm on like, I'm kind of like back in the middle. So I didn't jump I, to the conclusion that he was being like all, um. Isomovian <laughs> with uh, <laughs> Kalia's uh, personality, you know, that yeah. I'm like immediately now I'm more suspicious because I'm like he's playing games because he's he's playing on this kind of idea, like caricaturizing this underestimating you know, this behavior based and when off he does that. It's like there's something there's something deeper, like with the clown and, with yeah. the, you know, all this other and divers and all this other stuff. So. I think I think we've gotten a much more even kind of gender distribution. It is still very male heavy, which is not unexpected. Um, but yeah, we we're not we're not belittling shrill women all the time anymore. You well, know? but speak for yourself. You know, it, uh, Stetton, <laughs> my favorite, I highlighted. But Stetton comes in and says, when she comes in to whisk her out the door, he says, "What in space have you dragged your shivering carcass here for?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm mean, for the mistress, you know, the little, the little lady, you know, how dare you even come in my office? They even called Bucci, and he basically like escalates the entire time, being meaner and meaner and meaner to her, and then like he follows it off at the end by calling, "What in space have you dragged your shivering carcass here for?" I thought it was a tropical island. What's maybe it's just drafty and maybe, maybe he's just got a chilly demeanor. <laughs> it seems like it. Drafty. Yeah. Jason, you said that basically you've come around on Asimov and some of his gender perceptions. I've basically come around with him on his uh, talent as a writer. Mm -hmm. I feel like he's gotten very, like, you know, the last half of the second book, and then, like, this entire book's been great so far. And it's because, like, I read up to the very end of this chapter, and I was like, all right, well, I want to know what happens next. But yeah, me too. I'm, I'm not going to be a hypocrite and read ahead because that's mm -hmm. the most egregious thing you could do on this podcast, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, but I actually wanted to, which was the biggest compliment I could, I could yeah. pay. Yeah. Exactly. I wasn't, I'm not I wasn't doing this and through the reading. Just drudgery and, and diligence. I'm actually interested in reading more of the book. We're doing the Lord's work for you podcast listeners out here. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's not this cross you're bearing anymore. It's like, <laughs> oh, I'm actually enjoying this. Yeah, <laughs> amazing. What a concept. I can understand why this has its place in sci-fi history now. What a concept. So, yeah, so she's on the way. She's on the way. Yeah, so I think the... That's she's on her way where? To save the universe, Peter. <clears throat> Right, but is she going back to the place? I think she's gonna go underground, right? Well, that's yeah. Maybe it's time for our predictions. I think she's going underground. We'll, we'll find I out. I thought she was going to the ruins of Tranter. 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 I think she's going to Tranter. That's right. Yeah. I, I, well, you can find they, out. They talk all about like ahead. her. Oh, I barely remember because she's at the yeah. train station. Yeah, you know. I mean, I barely remember where Tranter is, and or I, I barely remember because I was three. And then there's the whole thing about yeah, she, she's well, she's from her Tranter. dad hiding out on Tranter until like his yeah. wife died, and that's like she the source of his hatred for the Second Foundation or something. I didn't really understand all that, but yeah, well, we'll find out. She's at the spaceport. You yeah, know, she's gonna go somewhere. I'd say probably. I mean, she's from Tranter, so that's you know got an outside shot. You figure. Mm -hmm. You know, otherwise it's like maybe she'll just take like a CD cab out of town for all of her. Well, that was my dollars, my, my favorite technology. So basically, she's running to the train station or trying to find 
out of the palace to find a way to get to the train station. And she's a space train. Search, running wildly, searching madly for an unoccupied public booth at which one could press a button for public conveyance. She's taking an air taxi to like a flying space car to the train station. And like she has to summon it by going to a public booth to press a button that to get the thing to come up. And they're all obviously occupied because if what people are doing is pushing a button for a public conveyance, how how long it's not like it's you're making a phone call if all you're doing is pushing a button why is there a giant line that why are they so occupied didn't make any sense to me at all seems like they really need like sense. a space bike timeshare yeah i mean you'd figure there'd be like a phone <laughs> or something you know some calgan bikes you know? hail a hail a space taxi maybe <clears throat> get get a get a space rickshaw ride to yeah, the space, space train not a train station it's a private car but you have to push it on public conveyance booth to summon it to make it any sense at all. <laughs> and I did think it was clever that she went to the one that was further away. Cause if like somebody's trying to guess where you're going to go, like the nearest, you know, mm-hmm. ship off the planet, it's a good guess, but she went to the further mm-hmm. one and, uh, and uh, he's just mad about her and he can't, can't stop chasing after her. So I'm sure he's probably going to put, you know, the full force of the Calganian, uh, you know, what whatever it is, military police force to try to find her. I mean, it figures out what the deal is. It seems almost like she's a side thought, to be fair. He's really focused on, like, claiming his destiny as, you know, the first citizen, uh, the first, you know, emperor of the Second Empire. Mm. Uh, And he was just waiting for, you know, Homer... Jay Munn to take over, you know, give him the green light essentially to go do that. Mm. But I thought, um, I mean, my sense was that having her as his sort of like concubine, as it would be like wife, part of his plan yeah. to overcome. Yeah, I think it, it was like more than that. It was, he, I, well, he, I think she was, you know, he had, yeah, he she kept wants to make a marriage, you know, adaptive sort of power. plan. Right, because yeah, then it adds positions. legitimacy to his domination. Exactly, I think that's the, part yeah, of. Foundation. I think it's a bigger part of right. what. I think it's a bigger part of what his plan is than it being just an afterthought. Because it's not like, yeah, I got this sputtering puddle librarian. Like now, this my plan is complete. You know, I can't imagine he's <laughs> like, like he's just know, waiting for the what is, I'm unstoppable. <laughs> just like stuttering. I mean, to be fair, he, he was just look, he's chomping at the bit for an excuse to use his like 6,000 ships or whatever because he was worried yeah. they would dull. Right. And so now it's like, you know, he gets like the, the hint that there's a prophecy in there about who's going to be taking over the second the second empire and who's going to be the seed of that. And he's like, you know, he's already made assumptions but before Homer comes back to him. Um, he's like, tell me, what does it say? Tell me, I know what it says, you know. Like, mm-hmm. so yeah. I, I, you know, I think uh, I just like to regroup on because I did. I just turned the page, Peter. You want a Groupon? Is that I, what you said? I, yeah, I'd love a Groupon. You'd like so a Groupon. eighty percent on uh, for massages podcast and hosting for the year. Um, no, I, I I flipped the page over and uh, just to get a look at the title of the next chapter and then we get a little blurb from the encyclopedia galactica and it is about it's like a one-liner about tranter you read ahead yeah i I just read ahead but it's you know 
it gets it me. corroborates your uh both of you guys um mention collaborates corroborates supports your claim that Trantor is the the place where she's headed or the place where the second I don't know if that's she's headed to you think she's headed to Trantor because that's where the second foundation is or if she knows where the second foundation is and she's headed to Trantor to do something to get my theory is my theory is it's on Trantor okay because it because it's you know part of the surprise of the second foundation or back when um Brosive melted his brain. Miz, yeah. Ebling Miz melted his brain. I think part of the surprising thing was that, like, you know, it was probably here the whole time. Yeah. I mean, that. I I didn't think that at the time, but it makes sense. You know, I thought because she's from there, it's like, well, where is she going to go? You know, she was only little when she was there, but it's like. But she's not a second foundationer. Kalia is, right? Lady Kalia? Yeah, Kalia is. Yeah, I just mean like that Arcadia being from Tranter, it it, it being sort of this <clears throat> this throwback place, you know, it seems like an interesting place that a place she might go of all the places. It would become very be. full circle from a narrative. Yeah, it's, it made point, sense right? to me narratively, narrative wise, that it would make sense for her to go there. Like, I, you think about places and it's like, oh, that would make sense in the story in the story arc for her to go back there and that to be a part of it, given that. Otherwise, it's like they mentioned it that she, she was from there a couple times. That right. it was like, and then little and, foreshadow. And then her dad brings it up too, like the time yeah. that they spent there. It came up a and couple of times. Feels... And I'm like, you know, it's Chekhov's gun a little bit. Where it's like, why would they bring that it up? It's very unless, Chekhov's gunning, right? Unless, unless there was actually a reason to do that. Right. That was my thought. But why also <laughs> would they talk about Calgan like always being outside of the political system and always being this kind of um special place that was kind of neutral and a vacation place and rich people went there and it never had like a a position against or for any particular side until the mule is it not possible that the mule kind of set up camp on the second foundation's planet uh you know unknowingly or whatever for whatever reason and you know, Kali is like a native Calganian and it makes sense that she's, you know, showing the sign or has the whatever. I don't know what you want to call it, the signs of. And then, we, you know, we talked in the last section that they have to look at people to have an influence. So these second foundationers who are influencing, influencing the mules men have to look at them to be able to influence them. And aren't all the mules men kind of centered on Calgan? So I, in my head, it's I'm thinking like it's Calgan. Like I was convinced possible. last at the end of so. part one that Calgan's the home of the second foundation. And it's to me, this is potentially corroborating. So maybe it's a Isomov laying a, a like a two pronged kind of it could be Calgan or it could be Trantor. Like it could be either one in the story. Where, until where did the mule originate from? I know he started his invasion on Calgan, but. Is he that was the from first planet he got. No, he's not. He's not. Okay, because, I mean, it, it would be an interesting twist to find out that, like, yeah, he was a mutant, but he was a second foundation mutant, and somehow he was that. ostracized mm. because of that, and then, like, that became his superpower for taking over. Uh, a stretch. Superman. Yeah. Superman's original It was an interesting idea, right? Yeah. I'm not saying it would be, You're not it would be predicting. something that would be done. You're not claiming uh, the prescience? No, I, I'm not going to claim that one, but it's, an, <laughs> it, it's a cool idea. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it does. It would be very advantageous from a economic standpoint 
to be able to emotionally manipulate people on a pleasure planet to just extract sweet, sweet dollars from them, you know? Yeah, but completely useless Calganian dollars. Great. Super. It's like worse than tin. Well, that was, you know, that was the mule. The mule screwed everything up, right? Yeah. We can just, we can hyper, wave the hand at the mule. Policies. But these are all right. the most important people in the galaxy are coming to right. Calgan just coming for their vacation. The, uh, the aristocrats. The, Disney World, right? Yeah, the, le- the political leaders. Or the, Euro the, Disney. Economic leaders, you know. Yeah, you can slowly forge your influence over the galaxy. Yeah. I'm still not sure why they're evil. You know, I get that mind control is bad right but like they're trying to unite the universe in a functional economy whatever you say Pritchard they're evil because they're communists Peter that's why they're tremendously less suffering in like you know a universe where everybody's fed because of the argument capitalist economy of pro-communists yeah whatever you say Trotskyite everybody's equal and they all have a meager mm-hmm. existence, except for the members of the party. Yes. I'm talking about a Some hierarchical people society that functions with a labor class that owns all the capital. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. The ol- not, they mentioned um, an oligopoly. So yeah, of yeah, Tzenda. Yeah, oligarchy. Oligarchy. I mean, that yeah, is not, a big red flag, isn't it? Not, not, not good. Quasi-fascist organization. Yeah. We'll find so, out. Uber, yeah, Ubermensch overlords. Yeah, not anymore. That's the problem. Yeah, it's like a regular mensch. Well, a, a, a <laughs> the new guy seems like a mensch. Doesn't seem like a mensch at all. The new guy. They, they really need Peterism in this universe. <laughs> that's what I'm hearing. There's a whole. Oh. They need yeah, to yeah. Peter up. There's a and whole they're petering out instead. That could be filled with Peterism. Yeah. So. All right, so I mean, it sounds like there's some. It's a debatable, you know, where we're headed here. But um, at some point, I mean, we talked about the the titles of the chapters. So at some point, the question is sufficiently answered, or something like that. You know, the title of the chapter. So we're going to find out by the end of the book, but we're going to have to read more to to dig deeper. So. Oh man, I was done. I thought we were done reading. Yeah, I'm excited to read more. Yeah, yeah, I, I am too. I'm just yeah, being flippant. <laughs> that's, that's why so, I'm here. So um, I think it's probably about about the time that we should wrap things up and thank our audience for sticking around with us through another episode here. Um, so thank you to everybody. I have been your host tonight, Jason, with my fantabulous co-hosts, Peter from Long Island and Dan from Los Angeles. We'll see you next time. Good night. Bye-bye.